You know, when you have a big problem, one way to solve a big problem is to break it down to the smallest unit that you can, and then you can deal with that smallest unit. And that's what we're um, going to do today. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 13 to verse 21. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 to 21. It goes like this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Father God, may you speak this morning. May you put aside the men and that you let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And so for all of us, if we're here, whether we're here in the sanctuary, and it's happy to see all your beautiful faces, touch your neighbor, not touch your neighbor, but wave to your neighbor and tell them, hi, happy to see you, happy to see your face. And if you're following us online, we're happy to see you virtually um, in our service. And so the Bible is a pretty big book. And if you go to seminary, you'll find out that they wrote books after books after books after books about all the different parts of the Bible. But today I want to summarize it for you. And this passage that we just read summarizes for you what Christian faith is all about. The last verse says, and he, have, he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And this is the whole, whole message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, as a matter of fact, when Jesus was on earth and he was doing his ministry, the religious leader would often come to him and try to ask him trick questions. They try to, 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 to catch him in, in, in a bad doctrine or something, and they always try to trip him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in those religious conversations, but there's always somebody with a, with a new revelation or somebody with a, with a question, and they're trying, to, you know, they're trying to trip you. And so in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40, one of those teachers came, and they're trying to get, you know, try to, 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 to find fault in Jesus. And he goes like this. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like, is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so 
this teacher of the law is trying to put Jesus in a bind, but Jesus summarizes the whole law in two commandments. He says, love God and then love your neighbor. And the whole law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so if we go to the Ten Commandments, you will see the Ten Commandments. You can break them down in two sections. The first section is the love God section, right? So that, uh, if we were in, in Sunday school, I would quiz you and see if you could recite the Ten Commandments. Who can recite the Ten Commandments? Let, let me see your hand. First commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. And then you shall not make yourself idle or any likeness. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. And those four commandments, you can summarize them in love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Basically, love God with everything that you have. Don't put anything else above God. Don't, don't, don't. God is, is too big to be contained into a person. God is too big to be contained into a building. God is too big to be contained into an image. So don't bring your worship to a person. Don't bring your worship to a building, but bring your worship to God because God is above everything. And so that's the first commandment. And the first commandment is to love God with everything that you have. It means to worship God. But then he says the second commandment is like it. So that means that you cannot have the first commandment without the second commandment. And, and, and sometimes we want to worship God, but we don't want to do the second part. And the second, the love your neighbor part says, honor your father and your mother. And then, you know, it would be nice as a human if, if people did not murder you or did not commit adultery or did not steal or did not lie about you or did not covet what you have. And so the first part is to love God, but that, set, that first part of loving God then is translated into loving your neighbor. And the whole law is basically those two things, love God, love neighbor. But as we study the Bible and we see the different characters of Scripture, we could not get it done. Nobody in Scripture could get it done. Not Abraham, not David, not, not Solomon. Nobody could get it done. Nobody, just Ten Commandments, and we could not get it done. So that's why Jesus came. Jesus is the only one that was able to fulfill the law. And he said, you know, when I will leave, I will not leave you orphan, but rather I will send the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 13 it says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us, he has given us his spirit. And so in the past few weeks, we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit comes to give us intimacy with God, but also capacity to follow, to follow God. He says, and I want you to follow with me and, 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 and pay attention to, to this. He says, this is how we know that we live in him. So if you're a believer, if you give your life to Christ, you live in God. You live in the presence of God. Sometimes we sing songs like, come Holy Spirit. But that's not the right way to say it because the Holy Spirit is already there. The Holy Spirit is already, you're already embraced by the Holy Spirit. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. 
when you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit it is in, in your heart. And so what we should really say is manifest your presence, right? And that's what we mean when we say come Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is already there, but what we're saying is Holy Spirit, we want to feel your presence. Holy Spirit, we want to feel the attributes that your presence brings. The kingdom of God is peace, love, joy. So at that moment that we are in, in worship, let's say, or we are in prayer, what we want to see, we want to see the presence of God manifest itself. We want to see God reveal himself. We want to know more of you, God. And he has given us that promise that if we have the Son, we have the Spirit of the Lord. If we have the Son, then we can have the blessing and the, the, the benefit of the kingdom of God, which is peace, love, joy. The assurance of salvation, the assurance that we are loved by God. So he gives us that intimacy. When we go to Genesis and we find when Adam and Eve sinned, what was lost, the biggest thing that was lost was intimacy with God. Where they used to be themselves in the garden, once they sinned, they had to hide. They had to hide from God and they had to try to cover themselves before the presence of God. How many times when we do something wrong, we think that God is through with us and then we start to hide and that intimacy is broken. But when we follow through and we get to the end in the book of Revelation, we see when the new Jerusalem come, it says there will be no sun, there will be no moon, because there is no need of those lights, because God himself will dwell with his people and his presence would be the light. And the whole story of the gospel is for us to be reunited with God and to have that intimacy with him. And that's what God wants. God wants us to have intimacy. That's why he gives us his Holy Spirit, so that we can be close to him. But the Holy Spirit also gives us capacity. It gives us the power to be able to live this Christian life, where David and, and all the others, maybe they failed. We can succeed, not because of our own capacity, our own power, but because we have something that was very scarce in the Old Testament, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're listening to me online or in presence, you're here. And if those words are resonating to you with you, it's because God first loved you. It's because God had his sight on you and he chose you. When somebody else, they might be drunk on their bridge, they might be out clubbing, and, and the word of God doesn't mean anything to them. If it means something to you, it's because God loved you first. And so when we consider the commandment, it says love God and then love neighbor, there's something that we don't see. There's two aspects that are missing to our understanding. The first one is that God first loved us. If we're able to love God, it's because he first Loved us. If you follow with me in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare die, but God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's two, three words I, I, I highlighted. One is powerless. When we were without power, when we didn't have any strength, 
God initiated this relationship. And I want to tell you, maybe you feel that you're tired this morning. Maybe you're going through the motions of life, but inside of you, you feel tired. You feel powerless. You, you feel overwhelmed. But I want to tell you this morning that God loved you first. And, and if God loved you first, and if he initiated it, he is faithful to see you through. And so if you feel powerless or, or you're ungodly, you're not living in the way that you know you're supposed to live, and you're like all of us, a sinner, a sinner like all of us, understand that God loved us first. When we were still not, you know, not dressing nice, not suited up, Christ loved us. And he reached out to us. For salvation. And that's why we're able now to love him is because he loved us first. And he didn't love us because we were good. He didn't love us because we were following all the rules and wearing the suit, the tie and living in a certain way. He loved us in spite of all of that. You know, it's easy maybe sometimes to, to love somebody that does always good. But what do you do when they do wrong? What do you do when they don't behave in the way that you expect them to behave? Always remember, Christ loved us in spite that we were powerless, that we were ungodly, that we were sinners. And I, I was listening to a guy on, on, on YouTube, uh, it's like one of those CEOs, and he was saying how he set up his company and, he, and then, he, you know, he's just setting, saying, oh, we, we do this, and we just like one super company to work for, whatever. But then he said, I don't like religion that tells us that we're sinners or that tells us that we're this or that. And I was thinking about it, and, and I get it. I get it. Nobody wants to hear, oh, you were powerless, you were ungodly, you were sinners, or, or, or whatnot. Nobody wants to hear that. That's not fun. But the sad part is, the sad part is, if you had any doubt, you open TV and you see day in, day out, that that's the reality. That's the reality. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes, you know, when you make a, a purchase, like let's say you bought, you bought a car or you bought a, a camera, you, then you start playing with the, your new toy, right? And, and what you're trying to do, you're trying to justify you're by. You're trying to say, oh, you know, I bought this dress. She's, you know, if she makes me look good, if you're a lady, of course, or I bought this suit. And you're trying to justify the buy. And you, maybe you find one flaw. And you're like, oh, you brush it off. Oh, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Right? Or you find another flaw. Oh, I'm going to brush. But eventually, if it's a defective unit, you can try to brush it off all you want. But if the unit is defective, you have to call the manufacturer and then you have to return it to them for them to send you a new unit. And the thing is with, with, with humanity is every unit is defective. Every unit is defective until it is returned. It returns to its manufacturer, which is God. And then God, what God does is he allows us to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to be born again and to be born anew and then to be made into what we were supposed to become. And Jesus in the Bible is called the second Adam. And when we look at Adam and we see that Adam fell, F-E-L-L, -L, that did not mean that God failed, F-A-I-L. Because Adam wasn't the finished product. The finished product is Jesus Christ. And with the power of Jesus Christ, we're transformed into his image day in, day out, with the power of the Holy Spirit.
And when we understand that God first loved us, and then we love him back, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. When you understand the love, the level of God, the level of love that God has for you, the only adequate response is to love him back with everything that you have. When you understand the magnitude of his love, the only response is to try to match that love. It was always funny to me when I was in high school. I never did that in high school. But every Christmas, all the guys that wanted um, a relationship with the cool girls, they would bring gifts. So I had a friend of mine. I don't know where he got the money. Because, you know, in high school, you're broke. I mean, my allowance was like $2 a day. So I ain't got that kind of money. But he would come to school with, with a golden, golden bracelet. One time he came with a golden bracelet that he gave to this girl that, that he was in love with. And we you know what the girl did? She took the bracelet and said bye-bye. That was not what he expected. But Christ gave himself the only adequate response is to say yes. Is to love him with all our hearts, with, with everything that we have. But then he says... And you can understand Christ saying, you got to love God. But then he says, the second commandment, which is like it, is you have to love your neighbor. And so us loving God, so that's the cycle of love, right? First God loves us, then we love him back. But how do we show to God that we really love him is by loving our neighbor, is by loving other people. So therefore, we must love them. It says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we go back in 1 John 4, 20, 21, it says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. But how many people know that that's the hardest part? How many people have, when I was in um, a mission trip in Mexico one time, one of the leaders said, you know, we're living in this compound for two months with other people that we don't know. And, and so what she did, she encouraged us, you know, to be patient with what we call sandpaper people. You know what sandpaper is? Sandpaper is that kind of rugged paper that they used to, to um, level the wood. So when the wood is a little chippy, you, you use the sandpaper to make it, to make it nice, right? And, but it's rugged. You can't use that on your skin. It's going to scratch your skin. And there's some people, do you know anybody that's like that in your life? Some people, you try to keep them far because, you know, they rub you the wrong way, right? They, they, they full well get on your nerves. They full well, you know, and it could be some people close to you, uh, like a parent, like a sibling, or they could be people that are not that close, like a co-worker. But either way, you can't stand them. Let's, let's be frank. You just can't stand them. Anybody, can I get an Amen. Amen. Now, anybody, you have those people in your life. But those people, in spite of their flaws, God is asking us to love them. God is asking us to love them. 
and how does the love of God towards somebody else look? It looks like sacrifice. If you want to summarize what the love of God is, you can summarize the love of Christ with one word, sacrifice. Favorite, most popular verse of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave, sacrificed his son. When I was in that same mission trip in Mexico, we went, so it was high in the mountains, and so we, we met a pastor, and he had been saved, um, I want to say a few years ago, and he was going out and preaching, and he would walk up and down the mountains, I mean, and walking down the mountains, I tell you, that's exercise. Like, you should see my pictures back then, I was like flat, everything is, because it's a lot of exercise. But he would walk two hours, one way to preach to one elderly lady. He would preach to that one elderly lady in a different language, two hours one way, and then come back two hours the other way, walking up and down in, in the mountains. And when we were there one time, we were with, with, a, with a church that came from the USA, so obviously we didn't walk the two hours, right? we took the SUV and, and we, we rode there. And it, it was touching to see him minister to that one old lady. And she must have been maybe 80 or 90 years old. But for him, she mattered. That was the love of Christ at work, where he sacrificed four hours, five hours a day to go and preach to that one soul. To go and preach to that one soul. So when I was there, at the end of the summer, I was praying to God, right? And, and this, this is like... Um, and no disrespect meant, but this is like boondocks Mexico. This is not Acapulco. This is not Cancun. This is not Mexico City. This is like the mountains deep, far, nobody knows about. I could tell you the names. You'll never uh, know. what You'll never hear those names. And I was praying, God, I was like, okay, you know what? I came here for two months this summer. Was it worth it? You know, and I was that in my prayer time. I was praying that. I was like, was it worth it? And at the end of our time in that village, we got into a circle where we we're going to pray for, for the people. Um, and I was translated, translating from Spanish to English. And the man that was there, he started crying. So a grown man, he started crying. And he started saying, thank you that you guys came. Because nobody comes here. Nobody gives us attention. And, and just seeing him cry made me want to cry. But I'm born in North America, so we ain't going to do that, right? So I'm like, <laughs> But then God impressed on my heart, you know what? It's not about if it was worth it for you. It's about what I want to do through you for other people. It's about me using one of my child, you, one of my children, you, to bless other children, them. And this is Christian life where it's not only always about us. It's not always about you. I know we all go through different hardships. We all go through different trials. But sometimes it's about what God wants to do through you. It's about what God want, how God wants to use you to bless somebody else, to be of service to a brother and sister, to be of service to somebody that cannot pay you back. These people over there in Mexico, once we left, I mean, who knows the future, but we'll probably never see them again. They can never 
give us back anything. But just with their love, they give, they give us more than we could ever ask for. So loving your, your brother and sister is what are you doing to be a blessing to them? You know, Rick Warren likes to say, hurt people hurt people. And we forget sometimes when we face sandpaper people, because they're hurting us, we forget that maybe they're hurting themselves. And yes, we're hurting, and so when we're hurting, what is our natural response it is to fight back, right? Our natural response is then ourselves to be herders and hurt other people. But God came to heal. And if we understand that sometimes the sandpaper people, they are behaving in that way because they were hurt themselves at a certain point in their life. And a lot of times when we're facing hurt, we tend to replicate those hurt. How many people that grew up, let's say, in, in a household that their father abandoned them and that hurt, and rather than to do the opposite, they went on and did the exact same thing? How many people are born in, in an abusive household where their parents, they, they don't only correct you, but they go too far? And then when you become a parent, you yourself go too far. It's because hurt people have a tendency to hurt people. But at a certain point, the cycle got to stop. That hurt cycle got to stop. And if you're hearing my voice, you're the one to stop it. You're the one to do, like Jesus said, to not render evil for evil, but to render good for evil. If somebody does you evil, to have the inner strength by the power of the Holy Spirit with his capacity to then render and to do good to the one that does you wrong. And when you do good to the one that does you wrong, eventually, at the right time, the Holy Spirit will visit them, and then the Holy Spirit will bring them to repentance. And I want to tell you, maybe if you're hurting, back to point one, God loved you first, and God sees your pain, and God sees your hurt, and he sees that to be able to heal it. So we must love them, but we, you know what sometimes what happens? God said, Jesus said, love your neighbor, love, love God, love your neighbor. But we understand that for us to love God, God has to love us first. But for us to love our neighbor, we have to love ourselves first. And sometimes because of the hurt of the past, because of the situation that we went through, sometimes it's hard to love other people because we don't even love ourselves. Sometimes, because, and we might have forgotten the actual event that caused us to be like this. We might have actually forgot the, the hurt and the, the, the trauma of the past, but we are in a situation right now where we don't love ourselves. So the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, but I can't love my neighbor as myself because I don't even love myself. And that's why it's like a cycle, because you have to then go back to point one and understand that God loves you first. And if God loves you, who are you not to love yourself? You know, Moses, when he was trying to free the people, right? When God called him, God called him, he was 80 years old. He had spent 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in the desert. And God appeared to him and says, okay, I need you to go back. 
And you see Moses go and have all those different excuses on why he can go back. Oh, I can't speak. Oh, they're not going to listen to me. Oh, I'm not tall enough. Oh, I'm not bright enough. All those excuses. And at a certain point, God got, God got mad. And God said, I'm the one who created your mouth. I'm the one who created everything. You better get up and you better go. And then Moses went, got, got up and went. But when you read the book, you, you, you can realize that the reason most likely Moses did not want to go back is because Moses tried the first time to free the people, and he messed up. And he messed up, and he ended up being a murderer and having to run for his life. And he did not want to go back there. Forty years later, he was still holding on to a mistake that he's done in the past. How many of us are holding on to pain and hurt and mistake, whether it's our mistake or mistake that other people did on us, and we're holding on to them, and now we evaluate ourselves in the light of that mistake? Whether it's a community that's not going to let you live, you know, they're not going to let it go, right? You made a mistake one time, you, you, you said something you shouldn't have said, and for forever, that, that's your label. They're not going to let it go. And now you evaluate yourself, you value yourself in light of that mistake. But I want to tell you, you don't have to value yourself that way. You value yourself based on what God has said of you. You value yourself based on your identity in Christ. You value yourself based on what God has given to redeem you, and he's given what heaven has best, Jesus Christ. And that is your value. That is your value. Here's what he says in Psalm 139. And I want you to put your name there. I want you to understand that these words, they apply to you. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained me were written in your book before one of them came to be. However you are, whatever idiosyncrasies, uh, flaws, or whatever that you think that you have, I want to tell you, when you were in depth, however you got there in your mother's womb, God was the one weaving you together. Whatever society says, it doesn't matter. Whatever, and sometimes, sorry, but sometimes whatever your parents say. If your parents say bad stuff, that doesn't matter. Because sometimes parents, they can, you know, have a good intention, but the, from the intention to the mouth, there's like, there's like a change, right? There's some, some different that happens, but that doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about you. And he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So I want to tell you this morning that you have value. You have value. Your, your life was written in the God's book before it came to be. The good and the bad. The good and the bad. Sometimes you say, well, God, I went through this awful thing. How could that be your will? And I would tell you, trust God. 
trust God. Sometimes we don't see it yet. There was this um, Christian minister, a, a, a very amazing person. Her name is Erickson Tada, Joni Erickson Tada. And she was, and that's the next slide, Caleb. She was um, 14 years old. She went to youth camp at 14 years old. How many people can't wait for, for us to go back to camp? Amen? Amen. So she was, she was at camp one time, and the preacher said, here are the Ten Commandments. Measure your life against the Ten Commandments. Do you measure up? And she was like, okay, we well, you know what? I'm not a thief. I'm not, but I could see that my life doesn't measure up. So at 14, she gave her life to Christ. She, she got saved. And um, so she got saved, and she was, a, she, you know, she went to high school, doing the high school things. How many high school students are saved? But, you know, like, you know, high school's a little rough on the faith. Amen. And so she, I, I, when she became a senior, she said, you know what? She, she, I'm going to go to college. So she prayed, God said, God, you know, I've been living not up to what you want me to, to be as a Christian. I don't want to go to college and then be ashamed to your name. I don't want to, 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 to be a bad representation of you. Help me be closer to you. Help me be, you know, a better model for you. And so that was her prayer. A few weeks after that, her sister invited her to the beach. She went to the beach, and, and they're, they're, they're playing on the boat or whatever, and she takes a dive. She was a, from a very athletic family. She takes a dive, but it was in shallow water. So she, she dives, and boom, she hits her head and snaps her her spinal cord. So now she can't move and she's floating in the water. And her sister didn't notice at first and she's like, oh, look, there are crabs. Watch. Oh, she sees her sister floating and she saves her sister's life. She goes to the hospital or whatnot. And, and so while she's on the hospital bed, she, she, she doesn't know. She goes, God, is, how, how could this happen? Is that your way of answering? I ask you to be closer to you. Why would you put me in this situation? And I'm a new believer, so why would you even take me that seriously? So she's in like that battle with God, and she's, she goes into depression, as she could imagine. In the hospital, doctors tell her, you know, you're not going to be able to walk again. You're not going to be able to use your hands again. You're, 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 it's what we call a quadriplegic, so you can't move your hands. So imagine like no hands, no feet. It's like you're going to be sitting for the rest of your life. So she goes through a period of depression. And people come to her and they bring, you know, the most, one of the most popular verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but plans to, to, to bless you and to give you hope and the future. And so she's like, well, that doesn't, plans not to harm me? I'm in a hospital bed. How could this be? But then she realizes the context of that passage. And that passage is a good verse in a bad chapter. Because at that chapter, the people of God were going through it. And they were being deported into another country. And so she understood that even in the hardship of the moment, God's will could still happen. And now fast forward till now, she has had one of the most impactful ministry that you could ever have. And that other image that you would see is one of, one of their ministries is they have wheels for the world where they bring wheels, um, wheelchairs, thank you, wheelchairs to, to, to disable people all over the world. 
all over the world where they can't afford uh, wheelchairs, they bring them to them all over the world. At the moment of the accident, they felt like there was no purpose. They felt like there was no goal. But when you see everything that she was able to accomplish in her life, she accomplished more as a quadriplegic than she could have as a normal human, as a normal, uh, as a full-bodied human. So I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I want to tell you, whatever you're going through, if you trust God, and if you sacrifice and focus on other people, you will see the blessing of God at work in ways that you cannot understand. And she says, one of the quotes says, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. And the more intense the pain, the closer the embrace. So maybe you're going through something this morning that is hard. It's hard, and you don't see the end. But you don't have to see the end. You just have to see his heart. You don't have to see how everything is going to unfold. You, don't have, you just have to see him. And pour your love into him. And pour your love into your brothers. And he will make everything come together. I met a girl one time. She was from Montana. Now, you don't meet a lot of people from Montana. I think population of Montana is like two. And um, no offense to anybody from Montana. But what she was saying is, you know, obviously they have a lot of land. And she had horses. And she was telling me how she would take her horse and she would, she would just go zoom in the forest. And she would just run through the forest with full speed. I was like, whoa, but isn't that dangerous that you run? She said, I don't have to worry about it. Because all I have to do is I put my head on my horse and I have him run, but he's the one navigating and he's the one running through the, the trees and the horse will never fall. The horse will never fall. So she put her faith on the horse as he's going through the forest. And I want to tell you this morning to put your faith in God as you're going through the forest of, of, of life because he will never fall. He will never fail. So yes, you might go through a turn. Yes, you might go to an up. And yes, you might go to a town, a down. But God will never fail you. God will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. You are always in his hand. And that's a cycle because in the beginning it said, we are in him and you are, he is in us. So he will never fail you. He will never abandon you. All you have to do is to trust him and give him your life and, and run with him all the way through and love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. But love yourself because he loved you first. God bless you.